Hello, friends. Welcome to the newly named Sabrina Scott podcast. (laughs) And I am going to do an episode about why and how I made this decision soon, soon. But for some reason, I didn't feel called to make that the first exact episode of the year. Like, I have time to do that. Let's settle into it. So as my cats (laughs) jump on me with their little bells ringing, I don't know if you guys heard that. They're also welcoming the new podcast name. So welcome to the Sabrina Scott podcast with me, Sabrina Scott, where I talk about many things, where I talk all about life, love, healing, spirituality, witchcraft, magic, tarot, feminine energy, and everything in between. Who knows? Maybe my little speech will change as we keep evolving on this show. And I do think constant evolution is incredibly important. And I know that I've changed a lot over the years, over the days, over the months, over the minutes. And if we are not constantly changing, I'm a little bit like, what are we doing? And I do think there are three aspects to magic, right? There's the sustaining, there's the summoning, and there's the destruction. We can also talk about that as the attracting, the repelling, the sustaining. So... Anyway, I don't want to get all off topic, but that is partly what I want to talk about today. But first of all, happy 2024. I hope everyone is doing amazing. I hope everyone had a great ease into 2024, the new year, as Mercury is stationed direct and we've got the vibes. I don't know about you guys. I'm feeling pretty good with this year. I feel some good vibes happening. I'm also feeling some like destructive vibes happening and I've heard some rumbles from some folks, actually mostly from folks who are practicing uh, ATRs or ADRs, if you guys don't know what that stands for, African diasporic traditions. Uh, I've heard some stuff from folks doing that, that they're feeling some interesting tumultuous energies. Uh, Personally, I feel a little bit of that, but I mostly feel really good. Like I think it is a year where we are going to be called to stop talking and start acting. And I think that can mean shaking ourselves up considerably. You know, we can talk the talk, we can say whatever it is we want to say, but ultimately, if we are going to be anybody... We have to actually walk the walk. We have to take inspired action and do the shit that we keep talking about doing. Or make the change in our lives that we keep like kind of thinking about, but putting off or whatever. The the thing that we need to change that if we don't change, we're just going to be in that endless feedback loop, living the exact same life for a million years. Te- years with the exact same fucking series of problems, right? And so I think this year, I think the the rumbling that folks are feeling, like I did I didn't feel it on 
the initial transition into January 1st, but I did feel it when I woke up in that afternoon, like the rumbling a little bit, but not the first few moments, thankfully, as we struck midnight here in Eastern time. But I do think what that rumbling is about is that this is going to be a year of catalyst, of shock, of change, of transformation. I think it's a tower year. And I'll talk more about the tower in another episode coming up. As you guys probably know, if you saw my Instagram story over the last few days, the tower is going to be a really important card for me this year around one particular area of life. I'm really excited to talk with you guys a lot about what that means. But uh, I think it is a tower energy kind of year, to be honest. Which makes sense because we've got 2024. What is that reduced to? 2 plus 2 equals 4 plus 4 equals 8. The tower is twice 8. The tower is card 16 in the tarot. And so I think we are at this year where it's like we've got to, not to be crude, but an expression I heard as a kid was you gotta, like, shit or get off the pot. You know what I mean? Like, put some action behind all that mouthing off or just shut the fuck up. I think this is the year of that. And so whatever patterns, whatever cycles you've been stuck in, whatever wounding or trauma or anxiety or worry or whatever, those little stuck places, whatever is popping up for you around that, whatever has been kind of rehashed again and again in your life, I do think that this year is the year to finally face that stuff and finally make some change and that's often not fucking easy it asks a lot from us because reprogramming our being can be a really tiring thing to do it can feel like that lightning bolt shock of the tower card we do see that literally depicted in that card. It is often a tower getting struck by lightning, exploding, on fire, people falling out of it. And so I think this year is that, but like in a good way. And I think the tower is generally a really good card. Its other name is the house of God. I've also heard it called the act of God, house of God, because it's one of its original names, I think, was the arrow and then lightning, the lightning, both of which are these kind of divine outside forces that are shocking us into a new paradigm. And I do think that is what 2024 is about. Is that an easy path to walk? No, it's a bit of a tightrope, but we can all make it to the other side. I do believe that. It's just going to take all of our focus and strength and intuition and belief in ourselves to really let those bricks crumble where they may and then plant those new seeds for a fresh start and to begin to rebuild in a way that is actually a much better fit. I think that is what 2024 is going to be about. I also started the first moments of the year, literally minutes, um, by speaking my two main goals for 2024 out loud. And no, I'm not going to share those with you. I'm going to keep those private. But those were my first words spoken into the year. This is a yearly tradition for me. I always speak my intention into the first minutes 
of January 1st. It is an act of manifestation and it is a form of spellcraft as well. My first minutes were spent in a ritual. I'll probably talk about that on another episode. I don't really want to make this one too, too long because I do have something I want to talk about today that isn't that ritual. But I do think that this first month, if we can do any ritual around our intentions, it's a great thing to make time to do. And if you didn't do that on New Year's Eve or January 1st, think about the moon calendar for this year. Think about some of the astrological happenings and see if you can't choose at least one occurrence where you want to just take a moment to yourself to set that intention, commit to it, and like really believe in yourself that you can make this happen. New Year's are beautiful avenues for reflection, contemplation, growth, and movement forward. And I really like that. So I'm sure I'll keep talking about that all January. As of Virgo Rising, this is one of my favorite times of the year because I love lists. I love goals. I love deliverables. I love action plans. I love all of that stuff. Back before I found my real birth time and I was convinced I was a Libra rising, I was always confused. Why is there no Virgo in my chart? Like, I'm obsessed with lists. Back when I was in undergrad and my master's and I guess the first year or two of my PhD, I was obsessed with timetables and course planning. And my favorite time of the year was always like whenever we could choose our courses and make our timetable. And I'm still kind of like that, even though I'm not in courses anymore and haven't been for a really long time. This is like my course planning, like timetable itinerary time. I love it. And even if you don't love it, like try to make it fun in a way that feels good to you. Maybe you're not so listy. Maybe you're more feeling oriented or more fluid, but like just, just seize, seize this moment, my friends, because it only happens once a year in this exact same way. So let's dive in, right? It's fun. I promise. So let's get into what else I want to talk about today. And This is something I've been thinking about a lot over the winter holidays. I have been sick as a dog the last two weeks. It could be worse, to be honest. (laughs) But thankfully, I am on the mend slowly but surely. And over the break, I've been reading a lot. And some of the books I've been reading, I'm sure like not everyone would be like, I don't know, stoked that I'm reading them. They're a bit on the conservative side in the Canadian type of way, but they're history books. They're books about the history of the country I was born, the history of the country I live in right now called Canada. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of people who have known me since my far left activist days would be really shocked that I'm even reading books that are like deep history books about Canada uh, written from a I, I would say like a pretty balanced perspective views that get into like what actually happened in history as opposed to let's say a lot of the views that are getting thrown around right now in pop culture and as I've gone older it's become really important to me to have a really diverse selection of viewpoints in my reading and this is true with pretty much everything As I've gotten older, I read 
so many different things. I've got a whole bookshelf full of works by queer and trans theorists, both academics, activists, and then just memoirs. And over the last few years, I've also read a ton of books by gender critical people, people who are like have some conflicting opinions about biological sex and medicine and the current scope of what is often called gender ideology by critics of it and yeah i've read that stuff i've also got a whole bookshelf full of books by indigenous writers poetry fiction history political science activist stuff and i've also now got all these books on canadian history written from a more european historical perspective And I think this is really important. You know, I really think it is. And am I going to agree with everything I read from everybody? No, that's not the point. My point and my purpose on reading all these different books isn't just to have my own opinions regurgitated out to me and to live in this like echo chamber of my, my bedroom or my apartment and just be like intellectually masturbating to these books like oh yes i agree this is so amazing yes this person i agree with every single thing they say that is not why i read anything ever (laughs) i read to be challenged i read and i learn because i've got this insatiable curiosity around learning and i really don't feel like i know everything there is to know i think that's a fact i don't know everything there is to know i think i know a lot more than most people and at the same time I'm always interested in learning more. And as I've gotten older, what's mattered to me a lot more than most things is the importance of the diversity of perspective. And I've really come to value multiplicity of perspective. And I feel like when I'm interacting with people that I disagree with, and I'm really taking the time with their ideas, whether that's in the book form or whether I'm watching a two-hour lecture they did at a university or listening to an in-depth podcast interview that someone did with somebody. I really want to give people that respect of really understanding why do they think that? How are they supporting their points? And I think that's just an important part of growing up to be honest, to be able to hold space for true diversity. Because at the end of the day, diversity of perspective is something that takes into account everybody, whether you're trans, whether you're cisgender, whether you are queer, whether you are straight, whether you are white, black, aboriginal, Asian, mixed, Diversity of perspective is huge. And one of the things I think a lot of people don't talk enough about, at least in the spheres that I've spent too much time in over the years, is that people of the same background can have different opinions. It's true. It's true. And I'm sure a lot of you guys listening already know this and have like internalized this as a fact. But it does bother me, this heightened tribalism and 
divisiveness that I've seen, particularly in the political left and the radical far left, which again, I used to be a member of that. And people who found my work 10 years ago would have found me a super activisty, etc. You know? And that's just not 100% my vibe anymore. Even though I do hold the values of equity and diversity and human rights for everybody and all of that stuff just the way that I think that that can be actually achieved is a lot of a different path than what I thought when I was 17 (laughs) and it's really really different from the path that I thought was the one when I was 20 or 22 you know And one of the things I find really disturbing these days in the current political culture, again, is the tribalism. And what I mean by that is that people are so eager to excommunicate or split off or cancel or just completely like soft quit a friendship. And that is something that I realized recently. So I'm not going to get too into it. I don't really like airing a lot of my dirty laundry, but I wanted to use it just as a talking point just briefly. So there was someone that I knew in witchy space, kind of, I guess, for the past five years or so, give or take. And like, we weren't best friends, but like, we're cool. Like we shared about each other's lives. We were confidants in some ways. And... Everything was chill, like nothing dramatic, so I thought. Um, And this person I realized today, like, unfollowed. And, like, their best friend also unfollowed me. (laughs) Without a word, without a text, without any conversation, without any notice. Person didn't wish me happy birthday. No, nothing. And so that's totally fine. Obviously, everyone can do whatever the hell they want. And for someone to like quite quit a situation in that way like that's fine it's not ideal but it is what it is and I can observe it and learn learn something from what do I take from that right and so why do I think this happened I think this happened due to differing opinions about the Israel-Palestine conflict obviously as you guys know um, I am very sympathetic to what is happening with the Palestinians I've been pro-Palestinian since I was 17 uh, I've read Palestine by Joe Sacco when I was that age, and I followed his work on the conflict since then, and have been pretty passionate about that for a long time. And of course, I've got a lot of compassion for Jewish folks as well who are dealing with, you know, a lot during this time. But apparently, all of that is like not radical enough for a lot of people on the left and apparently it was not radical enough for this person because I haven't been posting like pictures of dead children and racking up my my feed and all of this and posting about it 24 7 and so that means that apparently (laughs) I'm a fake witch apparently and so it's a really interesting argument right like that witchcraft has to be all about being a political radical that witchcraft has to be all about you know talking about ending oppression 24 7 or else you're not a real witch and you're just a fucking faker 
you know, and <laughs> I'm extrapolating a little bit based on some posts I've seen uh, from this person. So I can only assume because the conversation was never had, but I'm going to assume that's what it was. And that's fine. Um, you know, not all friendships are meant to last forever. That's cool. And that's, that's what it is. But I think it's so interesting. I just want to talk about that a little bit today on this episode. Because you know what? I, I probably would have said something similar when I was 20 years old. I'm sure I probably did say something similar when I was 20 years old, but I'm 34. <laughs> and I think there is something to be said for, yeah, we do get more conservative when we get older. But, and I think for me, that's definitely true. But I think part of it is not just like old equals conservative. And I don't even think this is necessarily even about conservatism per se. I think it's also about growing up. And what does growing up mean? Growing up means maturity. Growing up means often a more measured perspective. Growing up often means a perspective that is a bit more broad. And in the last 14 years, I've read a lot of shit from around the world. I've read varied political perspectives. I've read a lot of world history, even when it seemed kind of boring. I've read a lot of political hot takes. I've read a lot of philosophy. I've read a lot of stuff from people from every identity category you can list. I've read a ton of books by people from that background. And from all of this reading and life experience, and I guess the other thing that's changed is I've healed my trauma, my friends. And so I don't feel addicted to that excitement of political activism anymore. I just don't. I don't want to be angry 24-7. I don't want to be triggered 24-7. I don't want to be like in that highly agitated space 24-7 because it's not an emotionally healthy thing to be or do. It serves nobody, even the people who are suffering in that war, you know? And so I think, due to all of that, my perspective has just changed. And not everyone can be and do everything. And so I think it just disturbs me when I see people using politics and using the deaths of people in wars around the world to basically like try to call other people's spiritual practice fake. I just like can't I can't fuck with that. I think that's weird. Because not everything is for everyone. And I think one of the things I've learned over the past 14 years since I was that 20-year-old political radical is that we don't know everything about everyone. What you post on social media and what you see other people post on social media is such a small fragment of who you are and of who that person is. It's a fraction. It is like one teeny tiny slice of a big pie. And I think one of the things I've learned the most over the last 14 years is that so much of that pie is unavailable to me. I will never know most of that pie about the world, about politics, about everything, about life but also about what other people are doing with their time, you know? 
And so I know there's probably a ton of people who feel some kind of way about this war or that war or this issue or that issue who is not posting about it. And yet they might still be doing ritual around it. They might still be thinking about it. They might still be practicing. And I think the other thing too is that not everyone has to do everything. Not every battle is everyone's battle to fight. Our energy is finite. And as a disabled person, I especially know this. And I'm sure a lot of y'all are in similar space. We can't do everything. And I think part of being an adult, part of growing up, It's also about wrestling with that, right? Wrestling with that finite element of our energy, our time, and the finite element of our life, right? Of mortality. The death card. One of my favorite images of the death card is actually Kim Cran's Wild Unknown. It's a deck full of animals and creatures and plants. And it's a bird skeleton in the death card. And I really love this because there's no destruction in this card. But the bird skeleton reminds us that death is really about a paring down. Prioritizing. It's about coming down to those bare bones of who are we? Who am I? And ultimately, how do I want to spend my time? How do I want to feel? You know? I don't think it really benefits anyone to be in a highly agitated state 24-7. And it doesn't benefit anyone to be excommunicating people who have a very slight difference of opinion. We've become a world of echo chambers, right? But it's worse than that because it's not just an echo chamber, right, that we are seeing everywhere. It's a self-aggrandizing, self-congratulatory superior, holier-than-thou type of echo chamber. And I think that's really too bad. And one of the things that I've learned is that's not how I want to live at all. I like being around people I disagree with. It makes me curious. It It reminds me that there's a lot that I might not know. It makes me wonder, why do they think that? makes me wonder what can I learn from them even if we talk for hours and my opinion stays the same and I might not always have the time or energy to have those conversations like I think we have to be selective around uh you know the best type of people in those circumstances the most informed people of the opposing viewpoint but I would rather live in a world with diversity of opinion that acknowledges that we can all have different thoughts different responses to the same situation and still have a multiplicity. And I think one of the beautiful things about life is being able to hold multiple things at once. And I do feel that is in some sense what maturity can be about. And this doesn't mean living outside of your integrity. Obviously integrity is my top number one value. But for me, it's not out of integrity to have a conversation with someone I disagree with. It's not out of integrity for me to talk with people who have like very wildly different political thoughts than I do. It's interesting. 
And so it just does bother me when I see people weaponizing spirituality and witchcraft as a way to basically talk shit about other people and call other witches fake for not being political far left radicals. I find that very bizarre. And like, yes, we can argue that part of the history of witchcraft is about resisting oppression. I do think, honestly, that version of the history is a little bit overstated. And I think there is a like reading of the present into the past that happens too often around that particular narrative around witchcraft, that witches were all radical political leftists or whatever. Like, I think that is in some ways a bit of a myth that people want to repeat to sound sexy and smart uh, when that really isn't totally how the history plays out, in my opinion. Witchcraft has also often been about survival. It's been about making ends meet. Witchcraft has often been about making money, finding love, having a house over your head. And I think that needs to be remembered for all these folks who would like to excommunicate people, friends, witches, whoever, for not being sucked into the internet outrage machine. And if you do want to be sucked into it, like that's by all means, that is your God-given right on this planet to be sucked into it. But as someone who has lived through trauma and survived it, and I would say it probably took me about 10 years to really significantly heal the complex post-traumatic stress disorder. 10 years. And I'd say the last four, I've been pretty good. I've got my earned secure attachment, which feels great. And I'm not fucking activated. And that is hard one. Back when I was in my active trauma zone, I participated in a 12-step program called ACA. That stands for Adult Children of Alcoholics and Other Dysfunctional Families. And I'm not going to get too into ACA, but one of the things that stuck with me that I learned from that is they had this list called a laundry list. And it's basically the list of your shit, the ways that you fuck up. And on this laundry list, from what I can remember, don't quote me, but one of them is being addicted to excitement. Addicted to excitement. And so I think that my participation in far-left radical activism and the heights of my worst trauma through really coming to terms with stuff from my family and also surviving two rapes, that was when I was the most active in the far leftist stuff. And I think it was because trauma, it does sometimes create in you this addiction to excitement, this addiction to always having your adrenaline and your stress and your everything pumped up to 11. Because that's what normal feels like. That's what's familiar. That's all I knew how to be in. And so, of course, I ended up in an activist space where everything is outragey. Everyone's mad about everything all the time. Everyone's yelling at everyone. Everyone's canceling everyone. 
I ended up in a few unpleasant relationships and volatile friendships where, of course, those dynamics repeated. It was addiction to excitement 24-7. And now, I'm just not fucking there. I finally healed that laundry list item. I am no longer addicted to excitement, my friends. I am not ashamed to admit it. It is a hard-won victory. And so, whenever I see folks in this space, you know, trying to pull people into the outrage machine. And of course, yeah, be outraged about war. Be outraged about unjust death, obviously. But we don't need to live there 24-7. And it, it's really too bad that some people will excommunicate others for choosing to not live there 24-7. And it brings me back full circle, right, to the Tower card, the Death card, ACA, 12-step, call-out of, hey, trauma makes you addicted to excitement. And so when I see folks in that space acting that way, of course I feel compassion. Like what happened that I shared on this episode today, yeah, that hurt my feelings a little bit. Won't lie, I'm human. But I have to have compassion too because I'm like, well, damn, what is it in this person's psyche that led them to think that that is, you know, the mature adult way to act and behave and think? Probably some kind of unresolved something. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I am. And that's fine. But it really is what comes up for me when I look at all of this tribalism and these extreme divisiveness that I see particularly online. And of course it has come into in-person interactions too. We see a lot of protests and craziness happening around the world. And so before I end this episode, I just wanted to address some of y'all might be like, Sabrina, you are spiritually bypassing. And if you guys don't know what spiritually bypassing is, it basically means like jumping over the problem, like ignoring something and just loving and lighting our way out of it. And that's actually not what I'm suggesting here. And it's not what I'm doing. What I'm suggesting is actually something a lot more powerful and a lot more integrated and a lot more hard to do, actually. It's easy to be outraged. It is easy to get sucked into being angry all the time. It feels good to be angry all the time. It feels amazing to be righteously rageful. It feels fantastic to be superior and cancel people for being wrong. It can feel good to end a friendship being on a moral high ground about politics. It can be addicting. It can feel, again, that addicted to excitement. What I'm suggesting is that folks step out of that and actually do something that's a lot harder, which is to acknowledge the feelings, acknowledge the outrage, acknowledge the anger if it's there, acknowledge the lack of justice, witness it, and to not be overwhelmed by it, to not be sucked into it, to not be paralyzed by it and to not allow all of that 
to create division either within one's own psyche or within one's own community at large. And to not let it ruin our day. To not let it render us paralyzed. When I was in my active trauma state, some weeks I was bedridden just due to trauma. For weeks, I could not work or do anything. I had to go on leave from school multiple times due to that trauma. And I was likely exacerbating it by being involved in all those things that I mentioned. I didn't realize that's what I was doing. When you're traumatized, you kind of can't really step out of it, right? Your choices are kind of limited. You're like on this knee-jerk cycle. So I have compassion for my past self. I have compassion for folks who are still stuck there today. A lot of people are still stuck there. And unfortunately, I'm seeing the online crap around this conflict sucking a lot of people who had recovered from a lot of trauma outrage stuff pulled back in. I think it's a much more powerful thing to achieve and be able to balance, to notice the outrage, feel it, and to not be consumed by it. Over the past bunch of years, I've attended the International Trauma Conference uh, virtually. I've attended pretty much every single session the past four or five years. It's been awesome. Um, I've loved it. And one of the things I really learned in that was the importance of not being sucked into an empathic state of distress. Right? We have to be able to separate from the other, separate from the outrage, separate from whatever in order to retain our oneness with ourself. I've talked a lot about this over the years. I'm sure I'll talk about it again. It's a lot of, it's a harder thing to do to not be pulled in and sucked in. And so to the contrary, that is not spiritual bypassing. What it actually is, is spiritual integration. I'm going to say that again. It's not spiritual bypassing. It's spiritual integration. And I would say that this is the tower lesson for 2024. Right? That war ain't over yet. The war in Ukraine and Russia is still going on. And there's a lot of conflicts around the world. Inflation, craziness, consumer debt is rising. Unaffordability is rising. We are in crazy times. We really are. And so to not be sucked into the outrage, right? To not jump over it, but instead to acknowledge it, to be with it, and to not be consumed by it, that is what true spiritual work really involves. That, in my opinion, is the lesson of this year, the year of the tower. Also the year of strength, right? Interestingly, I've been pulling both these cards a lot for myself lately. So I just want to leave you guys with that lesson, that series of reflections for today as we begin the year. It's a complicated series of lessons, right? It's a complicated series of reflections. And I could leave you guys with a quick like, here's 10 tips to make awesome affirmations for the new year. And I'll probably do that at some point because I do love making that type of content for y'all. 
And I love that cheesy stuff. I think it's important to get down to those basic spiritual skills. But I also wanted to leave you guys with something a little bit more contemplative, a little bit more fucking deep, and probably a little bit more real. You know, I've had this loss of a friendship, whatevs, I guess. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have probably had similar difficult conversations or lack thereof, you know, ghosting, quiet quitting, um, unfollowing, whatever it happens to be. We are being called in this year, in my opinion, with the tower vibes and strength to be the best version of ourselves. And that is going to involve as Donna Haraway, one of my favorite theorists would say, staying with the trouble staying with the trouble this year stay with the trouble so that we can really know what to do to be with it and transform it staying with the trouble is not to be completely overcome by the trouble to the extent that we blind ourselves we stay with it just enough so we can see it and know how to move through it intact right if you're so consumed you're gonna burn out we don't need that the world needs your light the world needs you you need you in my case my cats need me so that's enough for to keep me going (laughs) anyway much love to all of you guys welcome to 2024 welcome to the brand new name of this podcast the sabrina scott podcast i'm sure i'm gonna fuck that up Again, I'll talk more about why I've made this change in a future episode, probably coming around the corner. But for now, love you guys. Thank you for staying with me for now more than 150 episodes. You guys know where to find me. SabrinaMscott.com, SabrinaMscott on Instagram, SabrinaScott on YouTube. And send me an email if you want, CEO at SabrinaMscott.com. Much love, guys. Bye.